Today, Passover begins. And your emperor, Tiberius Caesar, makes you a gesture of goodwill. The release of a prisoner chosen by you. I give you a choice. Barabbas, a dangerous agitator, a common murderer, or this preacher who claims to be your king. He is not our king! We have no king but Caesar. You must decide. How can you condemn this man and spare a murderer? We will look at that question more, but uh, there are several movies that I'm a huge fan of that start with the end, work backwards to end up right where they started. And uh, this morning, I'd like to try and do the same thing with you. I'd like to take you on a journey uh, just as we, we ask and consider the question of how could you spare this man and condemn an innocent man, a murderer released, an innocent man Condemned, And so this morning we're going to start in John chapter 20, the very familiar passage. Um, John's gospel records uh, this, this encounter for us, and it's an, done in an amazing way. Uh, we know that Jesus was alone. Uh, if you were able to go on the prayer walk through the city on Friday, we have a map that just had 10 different locations to consider uh, Good Friday. And just we know that Jesus was left and betrayed, left alone, his followers scattered, he was beaten, falsely accused, drugged from one place to the next, was silent before his accusers. We know that nails were driven through his hands. We know that he died on the cross. We know that they took him down and they placed his body in a borrowed tomb and the stone was rolled in front. This is the, the story of, of Good Friday. And I know it doesn't make sense to a lot of the world but there's much good accomplished on Friday. 
And we, we sat and we contemplated that. And obviously yesterday, I don't know how you contemplate the day between, but maybe the aloneness that was felt, the fear that was felt, the trembling that was felt, the questioning of all that you've given your life for was felt. And today we celebrate these these scriptures, these, these stories that point us to the truest thing our hearts were meant to hear. And so in John chapter 20, the women have gone to place, uh, to take care of Jesus' body and prepare it for a proper burial, and they arrive to a surprise. And as Miss Sue opened that egg with nothing in it, they arrived and there was nothing there. And so, of course, they run back and they tell the disciples And so starting in verse 3 of John chapter 20, Peter and the other disciples started out for the tomb. They were both running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. I love how John just kind of, I ran faster. Um, Verse 5, he stooped and looked in and saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he didn't go in. Then Simon Peter arrived and went inside. He also noticed the linen wrappings lying there. While the cloth that had covered Jesus' head, it was folded up and lying apart from the other wrappings. Then the disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in. And he saw and believed. For until then, they still hadn't understood the scriptures that said Jesus must rise from the dead. Then they went home. Sometimes... At the realization that Jesus has risen from the dead, you just go back home. Sometimes at the realization that Jesus has risen from the dead, you don't know what to do. And at this moment, not a moment sooner, the disciples understood what Jesus pointed to in the scriptures. And so Peter steps into the empty tomb and all of the pieces begin to connect. But not a moment sooner. And so what I want to do this morning is I would like to take us back just a moment to start helping you understand the pieces that needed to be connected. In Mark's gospel, we're brought into the inner chamber of a conversation between Pilate and Jesus. The Roman official in charge was present in Jerusalem ultimately to keep an iron fist Because if the Jews had gotten out of control during a celebration of Passover, there were thousands and thousands and thousands of them making their way. They knew things could get out of control very quickly. And so Pilate was in town ultimately to make sure things stayed under control. And after the religious leaders had interrogated Jesus, they had mocked him, they had accused him, they spat upon him, they punched him, they, they, they drug him around from place to place. They brought him to Rome because they knew that Rome could actually make the declaration, it's time for Jesus to die. So they brought him to Rome so that he could be sentenced to death. And in Mark chapter 15, starting in verse 2, Pilate asks Jesus, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus replied, You have said it. Then the leading priests kept accusing him of many crimes, and Pilate asked, Aren't you going to answer them? What about all these charges they are bringing against you? But Jesus said nothing, much to Pilate's surprise. 
A very common theme in the Gospel of Mark is people being amazed by Jesus. They're amazed by Jesus' teaching. They're amazed by Jesus' power. They're amazed by His authority. They're amazed by who He reaches out to. They're amazed at who He eats with. They're amazed at all these things that Jesus is a part of. And here we have men, religious men, Roman Pilate, this, this man in charge, amazed at the silence of Jesus. Now, you and I, we live in a day where it's a society of the last word, in my opinion. False accusing of Jesus, character, defamation, slander. There were all these lies, the venom coming out of the religious leaders' mouths to find something to accuse Jesus of. And, and they were shouting it to Pilate as he's talking with Jesus. And so all of these accusations, and, and Pilate's like, dude, why aren't you saying something? If I was in your shoes, I would have said something. I would have said, that's not me. They're lying. You shut up. I'm the world. God. I'm going to crush you right now. That's how Pilate would have responded. But Jesus remained silent, and it amazed Pilate. We live in a day and an age where we have to get the last word in, don't we? Facebook, Twitter, Web 2.0 oh, I'm involved in this conversation now? I'm going to get the last word in. That's how we live. And so you could see why Pilate would be amazed at someone being silent to all of these accusations. But to understand and value the empty tomb, to understand and value the silence, the position of silence that Jesus took, we actually have to go back just a few days. And in Mark chapter 9... Jesus' interactions with his disciples. Leaving the region, they traveled through Galilee. Jesus didn't want anyone to know he was there, for he wanted to spend more time with his disciples and teach them. He said to them, The Son of Man is going to be betrayed into the hands of his enemies. He will be killed. But three days later, he will rise from the dead. They didn't understand what he was saying, however, and they were afraid to ask him what he meant. Just a moment later, we see in Mark 10, starting in verse 32, they were now on the way up to Jerusalem. They were headed there, and Jesus was walking ahead of them. The disciples were filled with awe, and the people following behind were overwhelmed with fear. Taking the twelve disciples aside, Jesus once more began to describe everything that was about to happen to him. Listen, he said, we're going up to Jerusalem where the Son of Man will be betrayed to the leading priests and the teachers of religious law. They will sentence him to die and hand him over to the Romans. They will mock him, spit on him, flog him with a whip, and kill him. But after three days, he will rise again. This impacted the disciples so much that they wanted to know who would be the greatest. It's said with every bit of sarcasm that you can possibly say that. They glossed over one of the most incredible predictions and the most important moment in human history and turned it to themselves. Jesus has just announced to them everything in more detail than he did the, the time before that about what was going to happen, and they found a way to make it about them. Jesus actually tries to turn it back. He tries to turn it back, and he begins to talk about himself and how the Son of Man did not come 
He did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And that's what happened. It's amazing to me because Jesus continues, and at their last supper, in Mark chapter 14, he says this. In the evening, Jesus arrived with the twelve. As they were at the table eating, Jesus said, I tell you the truth, one of you eating with me here will betray me. Greatly distressed, each one asked in turn, am I the one? He replied, it is one of you twelve who is eating from this bowl with me, for the Son of Man must die as the scriptures declared long ago. And even in the middle of this, they have this meal and they begin to move up to the Mount of Olives. And Jesus says to them, look, one of you, well, all of you actually, you're all going to, to leave and scatter. But here's the thing, you're going to scatter, I'm going to be killed, and I'm going to rise from the dead and I'll go ahead of you. And Peter's like, no, no, you're not. I'll never deny you. I'll never deny you. Not even, no, no way. And I love how Jesus is like, look, I tried to keep it general. You're all going to desert me. But Peter, you are going to deny me three times. Peter, just keep your mouth closed, man. Stop talking. But even in the midst of this, they still did not understand. As Jesus stood in Pilate's courtroom, Jesus' silence did not surprise Jesus. Jesus being silent before his accusers did not surprise him. And so let's jump back nearly six to seven hundred years before Jesus comes on the scene. And in Isaiah chapter 53, this rescuer, this Messiah, this one who would be this eternal king, begins to be given very clear descriptions. And Isaiah begins to prophesy, and he speaks of this eternal king. And he says, starting in verse 6, All of us, like sheep, have strayed away. We have left God's path to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. He was oppressed and treated harshly. Have we seen that? Yes. Yet he never said a word. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep is silent before its shearers, he did not open his mouth. Unjustly condemned. He was led away. No one cared that he died without descendants, that his life was cut short in midstream, but he was struck down for the rebellion of my people. He had done no wrong and had never deceived anyone, but he was buried like a criminal. He was put in a rich man's grave. How could you condemn this man and spare a murderer? Jesus was not surprised. Back in the courtroom, we find Pilate disturbed, finding no reason for Jesus to be condemned to death. And Pilate, I'm sure, is saying, sanity's got to win this day. Sanity has to, has to rule. I mean, there's no way they're going to let this guilty man, guilty of murder, guilty of insurrection, guilty of being an enemy of the state, and they're going to they're gonna, they're gonna let this Jesus go. He's innocent. He's a preacher. He's done miracles, according to you guys. He's done all this stuff. Why would they? And we see that the Pharisees had done something to the crowd 
In such a great way, the word is they stirred up the crowd. Well, the word, the word picture that we have is they were shook. They were shook up like an earthquake had happened, and it was so violent that they were shaken that they were just out of their minds. They were stirred so much so that they were just going completely bananas about this Barabbas. They were shouting, and they were yelling, and they were asking for this man to be released. You know, it's interesting that Barabbas was an enemy to the state, guilty of murder, guilty of wanting to overthrow current powers. And it's funny because even me, being that guy who likes to win arguments, you look at this and Jesus could have said, wait a minute, you're asking for a guy to be released who's guilty of the very same thing you're charging me of at this moment in time. Do you not see how you have dropped the ball on your argument? Your argument is invalid. But even Jesus, in those last moments, didn't even bring up what seemed so clear. And he remained silent. This is the man the people wanted, Barabbas. It is the man they wanted. And do you know that they actually tried to make Jesus the man that they wanted? Barabbas was a, a kick-butt-and-take-names kind of guy, and that's what they wanted Jesus to be. And in John chapter 6, he's like, this can't happen this way. And he moves because the crowd tries to, by force, make him this king who comes and crushes and kills. And what's so amazing, I was talking with Zeke about this this morning. Zeke just goes, but he didn't come to kill people. He came to save people. This is the kingdom. This is the announcement that is being made. And these people were so amped up. They were so politically charged. They wanted a hero who was going to make noise. They were so charged that they weren't even able to feel sympathy for a man who was not guilty. It reminds me of our political environment today. A frenzy. Anger. Rage. That's how things are going to happen. You see, we're not that different from the crowd in this day. We reflect them. We reflect, actually, all of them. The Pharisees accused Jesus of political ambitions before Roman officials. And each of these groups, the Pharisees, Pilate and the crowd were all threatened by a man's silence. The Pharisees could not handle this Messiah, this Messiah who, who would rule by serving and loving. This is ridiculous. Pilate was threatened by a man who would claim to be king in his kingdom, so that would not make him look good. And this crowd who was so amped and wanted a king who would come and crush, they had no time for loving and serving their way. Everyone was threatened by the silence of Jesus. And at this exchange, Barabbas was not kind of free. I want you to know that Barabbas wasn't put on parole. Barabbas wasn't put under house arrest. Barabbas wasn't given a trial basis freedom. He was totally free. But the story didn't end there, as you and I both know. A guilty man was set free, but to me that's not the biggest part of the story. A very innocent man was condemned. You and I are reflective of all of the players in this story except Jesus. 
I think that bothers us. <laughs> I think we don't like the fact that we feel like we're part of the crowd. We feel like we're a religious leader. We feel like Pilate. No, I, want, I reflect Jesus, right? No, you don't. <laughs> Let's just be honest. And if you notice, the shouting for Barabbas to be let go isn't where the shouting stopped. And this is in my, in my head where I can almost see it like it's happening. Where Jesus is standing there chained and bound and looking over at Barabbas who is now going to be free as the crowd is chanting, Give us Barabbas! Free Barabbas! Free Barabbas! And when the freedom comes to Barabbas, Jesus knows what's the, ne- the next chant that day. Jesus knows the next crowd chant that is coming for him. And as he sees a guilty man go free, he begins to hear, Crucify him. Crucify him. Crucify him. He knew it was coming. He knew that second chant was coming, an exchange was happening, and it was his life, an innocent life, that would be condemned. The cross, in the place of a guilty man, an innocent man stood. Now let's go back to the tomb. John 20, verse 8. Then the disciple who reached the tomb first also went in, and he saw and believed. For until then, they hadn't understood the scriptures that Jesus said must rise from the dead. Then they went home. It was in the empty tomb that everything made sense. It was in the empty tomb where the scriptures came alive to these men who'd been around it. But until that moment, had not understood it. You see, the, the power of the stone being rolled away is, is not so much that Jesus was unleashed on the world. I believe the more subtle power to the tomb is as it was rolled, the stone was rolled away, you and I now have access into the tomb. You and I walk into the tomb and we see and we touch and we recognize that there is no one there. And it's in that moment in the tomb that I think we have been invited into that we begin to go, The scriptures make sense. I can no longer just call Jesus a good guy or a good teacher or a hippie skipping through fields and handing out nuts to squirrels and just walking around being like, peace, man. I can't say that anymore because I've stepped into the tomb and I see that it's empty. See, Jesus didn't just bust out. He invited us in. This is the power of the resurrection. You and I, as we identify with Jesus' death, we will identify with his resurrection. He led us in so that we could truly walk out. And as the band comes this morning and we close with just being able to sing of this good news that the tomb is empty. You and I stand guilty before God because like everyone else that we see in the scriptures have chosen our own way. We've rejected God's invitation to do life with him and his way. And not only have we rejected his way of things, we've accepted the invitation to do things other ways. So there's two exchanges going on. It's not just us saying no to God, it's us saying yes to everything else. And what we see happen in 
the tomb is that as Barabbases, as Pharisees, as crowd members, we see that an innocent man was condemned, but that he did not stay dead. And that everything Jesus said and did in his life here on earth was proven true. So that if he truly can forgive sin, my sins are included. Your sins are included. If Jesus is promising life, well, a dead man promising us life doesn't really make sense. But an alive man promising us life makes all the sense in the world. The tomb wasn't just about Jesus being unleashed on the world. It was about us being invited in. And it's in that tomb all the scriptures make sense. All that we see from Genesis to Revelation makes sense because the tomb is empty. Why do we celebrate an empty tomb? Because it reveals to us everything is true. That is why Christ's followers would proclaim in a day and an age that hates everything about it that the tomb is empty. And so this morning, I don't know where you stand. I don't know where you're at. But are you somebody who's just towing around outside the tomb? Are you like, I see the empty tomb. I see the stone rolled away. But I feel like I'm just kind of, I'm just going to walk around it. You know, I'm actually going to sit in a chair over there, and I'm going to just throw rocks to see if I can get it into the tomb hole, because that's a fun game to do. Or I'm just going to say I reject the resurrection, having not really looked at it or researched, but because it just doesn't make sense, I'm just going to throw it out. And here's the thing. I triple dog dare you to step into the tomb. I went there. I skipped double dog, single dog. I dare you to step into the empty tomb because it is in that tomb that the scriptures come alive and we understand why Jesus came, lived, died, had to rise again. So as we celebrate the empty tomb through song this morning, I'm going to invite you If you're one who would say, I I just don't know about all of this. I'm not sure. I don't know. We have people that are available to pray for you over here, and I'll be standing over here. But beyond that, if there's more of a conversation that needs to happen, those Connect cards are there for you too. Name, phone number, email. Our church, our elders, our gel leaders love to engage you in this conversation because when you step in the tomb, you'll have a lot of questions. I guarantee it. I just want you to know that God's not afraid of your questions because the tomb is empty. It is the power of God unto salvation. What Jesus has done rescues us. Our questions, the resurrection doesn't hinge on our questions. The resurrection points us to everything that Jesus said and did being true. So this morning, we celebrate and I know there's some of you in this room that you were drugged here because you had to, and that's, that's fine. But as I said, are you towing around on the outside of the edge of the empty tomb? Have you never stepped into the tomb to actually see the life of Jesus? Because, man, when you see that he is alive, it propels you out of that empty tomb. As you identify with him in death, you will identify with him in life. Though he die, he may live.
the promise of the good news. That's why we sing. That's why we love. That's why we go. And so this morning, don't toe around on the outside skirts of the empty tomb. Take a step in. Let Jesus prove himself to you this morning. Father, I just... Uh, our hearts can't speak of the resurrection enough. Lord, and I know we fail to because it freaks us out. But Lord, this morning as we together step into the empty tomb, may you show us that though we die, we may live. And it is by faith that we have received this gift of life. Lord, would you cause hearts to believe this story is true. And may our lives reflect that belief that he is alive. It's in your name we pray.